words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. A long, long time ago, uh, Bonnie and I did a Bible study course called Bethel. Uh, And the tagline for this course was, Blessed to be a Blessing. It was basically a two-year course where you walked through all of the books of the Bible. And I'm eternally grateful for that course. Uh, Educationally, it wasn't the best course around. But at the end of it, I had a grasp of how the Old Testament hung together and um, how the New Testament worked as well. Um, Something they don't teach you at theological college. They teach you the about bits of it, but they don't tell you how the whole thing holds together. Blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12. See, I can, we had these little cards, these little catchphrases on them that told you whereabouts in the Bible they came from. And uh, at the time, they worked really well. The writers of Bethel would suggest that the whole of the Bible can be summarized in that line. Blessed to be a blessing. We can understand the whole story as people understanding that they are blessed and they are to be a blessing. This is what God said to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12. The trouble is, well, a whole lot of us aren't very sure that we are blessed. We have a whole lot of questions about that, like, am I good enough? Or what do I need to do to really be blessed? And if you read Paul's letters, that's really what he's on about. What do you need to do to truly be blessed? He uses slightly different language, but that's what it's about. And even when we think we might be blessed, well, we're not really sure who we are to be a blessing for. I mean, what are the limits of that? Is it for everyone or just some people? And if it's just some people, which people? And, well, the whole history of the people of God has been around, so what are the limits? And those limits at times have been quite tight and at other times have been quite broad, depending on which bits of the Old Testament you read. Certainly by the time of Jesus, they'd got very narrow. And so Jesus spends a lot of time talking about what the limits to being a blessing are all about. And one of his best-known stories is exactly about that. In answer to the question, who is my neighbour, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And even when we get around what the limits of this being a blessing are all about, we then have the issue of, well, how are we to be a blessing? What does that mean? What does that involve? And so, from one point of view, the Bible is really all about this. Blessed to be a blessing. Are we blessed? And who, what are the limits to that blessing? Like, who, what are the limits to our being a blessing? And how are we supposed to be a blessing? And certainly today's readings are all about this. Our gospel story is one of those really well-known stories. There are a number of stories in the gospels that we don't know that well and surprise us when we read them. 
But this isn't one of them. The parable of the sower is one of the really well-known parables. The irony is that when we discuss the parable of the sower, we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the sower at all. And we spend most of the time talking about the soils. So maybe it should be called the parable of the soils. If you do stop and spend some time thinking about the sower, well, there's a little bit of a, it's not really a dispute, but if you read the commentaries, they take one of two attitudes to the technique of the sower. So some of the commentators will say that this was a pretty normal way of sowing seed. And in doing so, Jesus is offering a pretty common picture across Galilee that all the peasant farmers would have understood and they would have been able to identify with. But there are others that say, this is an outrageous technique of sowing. There isn't a peasant farmer alive who would sow this way. And so, rather than being a common picture, this is a shocking picture. So why is it shocking? Well, if you only have a little bit of seed and your family's survival depends on the harvest this seed is going to produce, you're not going to scatter it willy-nilly wherever. You're going to make sure that seed goes into the best soil that's been prepared to the best of your ability to give that seed the best chance of the greatest harvest, the harvest that you need to pay the tax, the tax to the temple and the tax to the Romans, and, if you're lucky, having some left over to live on. So you're not going to scatter that seed wherever. And so this story, they suggest, like many of Jesus' stories, is a shocking story. It is not a familiar picture. It is one that will disturb his hearers and make them feel very uncomfortable. And if we were to say that this is a picture of God, well, it offers us a really interesting picture of God. A God who scatters the seed of life, well, on one way you can look at it either recklessly and wastefully, or a God who recklessly and generously scatters the seed of life. An abundant God who scatters the seed of life and the seed of blessing wherever and everywhere. So if we go back to that old Bethel course from 30 years ago, we would say that this offers a picture of a God who scatters blessing all over the place. And you don't have to do anything to receive it. It's just scattered. There it is. All around us. All over us. All we have to do is notice. Now in the next part of the reading, we skip a little bit in the middle, which is why there was a pause, because it began right on the very bottom line of our Bible there. And... The next part of the reading is Jesus explaining that parable to the, to the disciples. Because like everyone else, they were a little flummoxed by what Jesus was saying. And there are some commentators that would suggest that this really isn't Jesus at all, but it's the early church trying to make sense of the story in light of their experience. 
The trouble was that despite the stories of amazing growth in Acts, the reality was it was really hard work. And while their work among the poor was attracting attention, not all of that attention was positive. There were significant groups in society who thought that working among the poor was not a good thing to be done. And, well, there just weren't the vast numbers that Luke kind of says there were. And even those who were being converted, among those, there were a number who just weren't sticking. They drifted off. And that got a whole lot worse once the persecution started. People found it too hard and drifted off. Kind of like today. So the earlier, early followers of the way in Matthew's community were trying to make sense of that. I mean, here they were, followers of the Son of God. Surely it should be easier. So the story offers an explanation. And it says... While they are generously and recklessly and abundantly scattering the seed of life, God is scattering that seed through them. Some of that seed is landing on paths. People who are so hard that, the, that it can never be burrowed in. The seeds can never burrow into the ground. They will never germinate. They are simply seed for birds. These people will not respond. And then there are those who are like rocky ground, where the soil is shallow. And there is some response. And in fact, at first that response is amazing. But when the heat is on, well, there is just not enough soil for the roots to take root. And so they wither and die. They're out of there. They're gone. And then there are those who seem to take root, but then all these other concerns, wealth and the concerns of life get in the way. The, they are choked out by weeds and thorns. And then there are those who seem to be good soil, where the seed does take root and their lives are changed. Now, at one level, all this helps us understand why mission is so hard. Yes, God is abundantly, recklessly generous. But the soil of people's hearts is not always ready. And that's a helpful thing to understand that. But the problem is that it becomes really tempting for those of us who have seemingly responded to feel pretty smug about it all. I mean, here we are at church on a Sunday morning while all those people out there are busy doing whatever they're doing. So clearly, we are the people of good soil and those people out there, well, I don't know, either they're rocky or paths or full of weeds or something. So we're pretty good, aren't we? We're the righteous ones, which unfortunately can kind of lead us in all sorts of directions, including... Well, the blessing is for us, and there are a number of Christians who think that and preach that, and forget all about the second part of the equation, which was blessed to be a blessing. And when that happens, well, suddenly, we're kind of like those people out there. Not such good soil after all. 
Only, well, I kind of like them, we don't notice because we're too busy congratulating ourselves. And the sad thing is that history is littered with us Christians so busy congratulating ourselves and treating other people really badly on the basis that we are the righteous, the blessed, and they out there are the unrighteous, the unwashed, deserving God's judgment, which we then have enacted on God's behalf. At which point we really do stop being good soil altogether and we end up somewhere else on that continuum of soils. Which leads us to another reading of this story. Yes, all of us here will be good soil. And we have welcomed the seed of the rec- that the reckless God scatters. And we do bear fruit, the fruit of faith. And that does result in us trusting in God more and centering our lives in the love of God more. We are blessed. But there will be and there have been other times, if we're honest, when we're much more like a path where the seed doesn't take root at all. Or we're rocky soil. When the heat comes on, the seed dies and withers. Or when the thorns and the thistles choke that seed of life. The reality is we're no better than anyone else. And of course, that leaves us wondering if we're good enough and if we're truly blessed, which is kind of where we started. In the first reading we heard this morning, we heard the story about people just like that. We heard the ongoing story of Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, Esau and Jacob. In some ways, they are an extraordinary family. As I said last week, polygamy was the norm. Monogamy would have seemed really weird. But here we have Isaac and Rebekah. If there was ever a case for having more than one wife, being having a barren wife was the exact time we should have another wife. Why? <coughs> life after death wasn't a concept that people at that time had any notion of. Your name existed in your offspring. And so Isaac's name depended on him having sons. No sons, his name dies out. He is lost from history. His legacy, his name, disappears. And yet, the writers of this story say that Isaac stays true to Rebekah. God's promises on them, they will hold fast to that. They seem like good soil. But we are given a picture of real people in the story. In some ways, we would call this a highly dysfunctional family. We have Jacob and Esau who are fighting even before they are born and while they are being born, and parents and sons who seem to be filled with complacency and jealousy and intrigue with all sorts of politicking and infighting going on in that family. They just don't seem to be the kind of people we would describe as good soil, and they certainly don't seem to be the kind of people on which God's promise for all humanity should hinge. 
And if I was writing the story, I think I would airbrush this a little bit. I'd just Photoshop it to make them look just a little bit better. Just a little bit like the kind of people that God should be using. I understand that part of the reason for the story is to point out that Esau's descendants are the Edomites. You might have noticed that little phrase in there where because he has gives up his birthright for the stew, he then gets called Edom, which means the Edomites. And we can now treat them badly because like their ancestor, they have sold out their birthright. They aren't worthy. But even so, these people are the people on which the promise of God hinges. Surely they should be better than this. Yet that is exactly who they are. Human. And they are good soil at times. But at other times, they are rubbish. Paths, rocky soil, full of thorns and thistles. And despite that, and maybe because of that, history is changed through them. And if we look at history, we will find it littered with followers of the way who aren't ideal people, who are full of faults, and despite their faults, maybe because of their faults, Despite and because of the times they were paths and rocky soil and filled with weeds and thorns, they lived lives that blessed all those around them. That changed the history of the world. All of which is good news. Brothers and sisters, we will not be and we do not need to be good soil all the time. If you think you are, you are deluding yourself and by definition won't be good soil anyway. Here is the good news that God's seed is planted in us anyway. That abundant, reckless, generous God plants seed everywhere and we are blessed by that seed. God has and is and will be changing the world through us anyway despite all our faults. So let us give thanks that there is good soil in here somewhere and that the seed of God is planted within us despite all our failings, planted even in those failings. And let us tend the seed to be people who live to be a blessing for others. So, How do we nurture our good soil and how do we help that seed grow that we might be a blessing for others? Let's pause for a moment and reflect on that.